It's a little bit ironic, isn't it, that the, the time of the year that we're probably supposed to be at our spiritual height, you know, celebrating the birth of Jesus is probably the season where we struggle the most because of the busyness and everything that's happening around about us. And we decided today to keep it on the low, just purely so that we could reflect. You know, we sing a song every year, O come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him, Christ the King. I think about that little word, adore. One little word, adore. When you adore something, you are infatuated with it. When I watch Joel look at Sophie sometimes, I can... (laughs) I know he adores her because he has that look in his eye. But when we're, in, when we're infatuated by something, it just captivates our heart, doesn't it? And that's what Christmas is all about, remembering that little child who wasn't just a normal baby. He was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He was, as John described him, the Logos. In Arche Einho Logos, Proston Theon. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, a supernatural cosmic being the wonder and the splendour of no man can get his mind around. And that little baby was God incarnate. The Word became flesh. It is something you and I will never get our heads around. (laughs) But all we can do is adore him. Come let us adore him, Christ the King. I don't know how we do Christmas differently. Because it is a busy time. School's finishing up, there's work breakups, there's family commitments. But it seems to me God gets robbed of the best because we're so wound up. Half our church isn't here today because they'll be off doing things. They're not doing anything wrong. But I often wonder whether God gets our best at this time of year. And He should get our best because He's worthy of our best. He should get our best every Sunday and every other day. <laughs> But it just seems to me that God's, we're getting robbed. The world is robbing us of the gift that we've been given. Christ the King. Don't forget that this year. We've come to celebrate the Messiah. And I don't know about you, but I love the Christmas story. It's my, I keep saying this all the time, but it's my favourite part of Scripture. Because when I read the stories, there's so many stories within the story. You know, the story is that Christ came. Peace on earth, goodwill to all men, because the saviour of the world came. But every story within that story is just about ordinary people like you and me that God puts his hand on and says, I'm going to use that person. I'm going to use Mary. I'm going to use Joseph. I'm going to use Zechariah. I'm going to use Elizabeth. I'm going to use Simeon. I'm going to use Anna. Just ordinary people like you and me that God said, I want to use you as part of my story. And it reminds us that God still wants to use ordinary people like you and me today. He's still looking for people that are willing, still looking for people whose hearts are after God. And we see what God does with those ordinary people is that he does extraordinary things. An 80-year-old man and woman conceived a child who became the forerunner to Christ, John the Baptist. They were just ordinary people that had lived their whole life with the shame and stigma of not being able to have children. And suddenly God says, woman, you're going to have a child. An incredible story of God's goodness. Mary, another miraculous story. Everything within the story of the story 
tells us that God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. And then we think about all the shame and the stigma in this story. I mean, this, this could be neighbours. This could be a hundred weeks of neighbours. Because there's so much in it. There's so many stories of a young girl who finds herself pregnant and doesn't know how to tell her community. Suddenly the lump starts to appear, so she has to disappear because of all the talk and, and, and the gossip and the rumour. And yet it's the, an incredible story of God's favour and grace. Lord, as you say so, let it be unto me, Mary said. Whatever you want to do with my life, Lord, you can have it. And then we think about all the hardship and the adversity within this story. This is not an easy story. You know, to put your pregnant wife, who's nine months pregnant, on a donkey and take her on a long journey, I reckon a few of our ladies would complain. They would not be happy. They'd prefer the Captiva or the, you know, the Land Rover. Kerry would want the Land Rover because it's got the cushioned seats. But you think about the, adv- the adversity, the hardship. You know, she arrives, there's no room. She's got to give birth in a stable. It's not a very glamorous story. But the irony of the story is that God uses kings and he uses paupers. He uses both ends of the social spectrum. Because he's a king and a God for all people. He's an awesome, mighty God. That's why I love Christmas. Because it's about gifts and it's about giving. And you and I have been given the greatest gift that could ever be given to us. I know if we won Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and we bought ourselves a Ferrari, we'd feel pretty good. But it's nothing in comparison to what we've been given in God. You know, Scripture has this really powerful prophecy in it, which says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I want you to think of that about that word, unto us. We're going to look at those four names that Isaiah gave and prophesied about Jesus. But those titles that Jesus was given, um, yeah, they were given in the sense that Jesus was the Messiah to the Jewish people. He was their king that was going to come. But unto us is a very personal statement. For unto each one of us has been given a wonderful counsellor, a God almighty, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. It's personal, really personal language. When you study the Hebrew, you know, if, if I were to, if someone got violated sexually, okay, then, then you, would, you would understand that per, person had been perpetrated against and their, their inter, intimacy, their, their sanctity, their, their privacy has been violated. And this unto us is that deepest sense of personal offering. Like you can't give unto me anything more personally significant than what God gave to us. It, it's a gift to you individually and to me individually. It was given to a nation, it was given to the world, but it was given to us very, very personally. Unto us, a child was given. Now, 
you've got to understand the context of what Isaiah was, was stating, that the nation of Israel was about to go into decline. It was already declining, a divided kingdom, north and south. So you can imagine if the Queenslanders took over and there was a fight between the Victorians and the Queenslanders, I'd be in trouble because I wouldn't know which side to be on. But the point was Isaiah knew that the kingdom of, the kingdom of Israel was about to go in on a slide. And it was about to go into a horrible period of time where eventually they would be taken into captivity. They'd be exiled. They'd be spread throughout the world. And he knew that there needed to be some remnant, some little strand of hope that they could hang on to. And what it would be was that their Messiah was coming. That one day in the future, there'd be better days ahead. That God was going to redeem Israel. That this current mess and the mess that was going to come, there was one thread woven throughout all of that is that Jesus was going to come. So that's the context of the prophecy of Isaiah. But it extends much further down the tunnel of time to you and me. For unto us, unto Mark Wilson has been given a personal private counsellor. Not just any counsellor. A wonderful counsellor. The one who knows everything. So we get this, you've got to get this concept of this intimate ownership, this highly personal. Jesus is mine. He is mine. He's been given to me. When you think about those words, Isaiah could have written it, for unto us has been given a son and on, the on his shoulders will be the government and he shall be called counsellor, God, father, prince. All would have applied, but when we put that little word in front of it, what it does is it amplifies everything that God is. He's not just a counsellor, he's a wonderful counsellor. He's not just God, he's almighty God. Set that in context and it changes everything. He's not just a father, he's an everlasting father. And he's not just a prince, he's the prince of peace. And any of us that look around this world know we need peace more than anything else in the times that we live in. He was a wonderful counsellor. Unto us is given the greatest supply of knowledge, wisdom, guidance, direction to live out extraordinary lives. None of us have an excuse to walk aimlessly through this life. None of us can get to the end of our journey and say, well, God, I didn't know. I wasn't sure. You didn't show me. Because he's promised us, call to me, and I will answer you great and mighty things I will show you. They're the promises of God. God says, I know the plans I have for you, Ben. Plans to prosper you, give you a future and a hope. So there is no doubt in God's mind what the map of our life should be, what the roadmap is. He knows it and he wants to give it to us. And we've got to walk in the intimacy of walking day by day with our counsellor our wonderful counsellor who's going to guide us through every hardship, through every season of our life. He's going to be there <clears throat> to give us the wisdom that we need. The scriptures say, if any of us lack wisdom, go to the library, look up a book, search out. It says, ask, just ask. And what's the promise? You'll get it. So it's not a game. God's not hiding. He's there, ready, available for us to glean his counsel and his wisdom. What better gift could there be? 
in a life where there's so much uncertainty, so many choices, so many decisions, so many forks in the road where we could make the wrong one. So many situations where we don't know how to deal with the relationship and we're like, Lord, what do I do next? What do I say? What do I do? Do I ring them? Do I email? How do I do with this confrontation? How do I expose this? Ask God. He's got the wisdom. He's got the counsel. He's a wonderful counsellor. He knows exactly what to do in our lives at the right time. He knows exactly what to say. He knows how to say it. He knows how to shape it, how to frame it. He won't ever be too harsh. He won't ever be too gentle. He'll just be right on in every situation. If we need correction, he'll give it. But he'll give it in such a way that it's palatable for us to receive it. He won't come in all guns blazing and crush us. He'll teach us his truth. He'll lead us into all truth. The truth about ourselves, the truth about the relationships that we're in, the truth about the vision that God has for our life. He's going to be there all the way through. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I don't know about you, but in the lead up to the election and and listening to a lot of the political um, monkeys and whatever you want to call them, just sprouting off about all their stuff, you just sometimes just want to block your ears and go, there's so much folly and foolishness that's just in the air, isn't there? People, like the Bible says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it only brings him death. There's so many people out there that think they're living their lives in great wisdom, but they're going to come a cropper. And for you, people like you and I that know we've been given this gift, know that we've been given this, this you know, hotline to the Lord, there should never be any doubt about where, we're, where we are, what we're doing and how we're doing it. Because God knows the plans and he'll lead us into all truth. You know, when you think back through scripture, we haven't really learnt a lot. When we get to the book of the Judges, the last book, um, you know, the last line in that book is that, you know, um, in, the, in those days back then, Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed to be right in their own eyes. That's what's happening in our nation. You can just do whatever you want to do. As long as it doesn't impinge on my little space, that's okay. If you can get away with it, that's okay. It doesn't matter what the moral, com, you know, moral fallout is. It doesn't really matter what, whether someone else gets hurt or not. We're living in a day where there's not wisdom, when there's not truth, where that truth is being watered down and compromised. The days are coming, and I believe they're here, when God's going to send a famine through the land, not a famine of food, or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. You tell me, where can you go today if you want to hear from God? Through a prophet. Where can you reliably go to someone and say, if I went and got counsel from that person, I know I would get the voice of God. It's very few people, isn't there? That you would really honestly say, I would trust that person to hear from God. We need to be people that hear from God so that we're not relying on another man. We need to hear God's voice. And he's promised us to be a counsellor. Now, I don't know how many of you have done counselling, but it's a pretty vulnerable place to be, isn't it? When you go in there, you know, you know there's issues, you know there's problems, and you are putting great trust in that person to help you walk out of that hurt or that confusion. It's, the, it's a great relationship when you trust a counsellor because they can help you. They can help you see things that you don't see yourself. They can help you see your blind spots or help you to learn things, to grow in character and to be a much better person. We've got God. 
We've got the author of life itself within us to guide us and lead us. We have a wonderful counsellor. When I think about the counsellors in my life, they were my friends. Friends in the sense that they loved me enough to say, Mark, if you keep doing that behaviour, you're going to destroy your marriage. Mark, if you keep doing that, you're deluding yourself. They had the courage to speak the truth. But I also knew that they were people that were comforting me in that process, spurring me on. They were like mentors. They were like confidants that I could share my deepest hurts with and trust them to keep that. They were people that supported me, cheered me on. They were my advocates saying, Mark, I know you can get to here. I believe in you. I know that you can get there. Don't you think that's what God's doing in our life? Standing on the side of our lives, cheering us on, saying, you can do this. You can do this. Fiona and Chris, you can build those buildings in Swaziland. You can do more than that. I'm cheering you on. I'm not going to fail you. I'll be there. And if you get lost or in doubt or you don't know what to do next, hey, ask me. (laughs) I know what to do even when you don't. What an awesome thing it is to know that we have a coach and a mentor right there, personally assigned to us. What a great reassurance at Christmas time to remember that, to unto us has been given a wonderful counsellor. And God Almighty, Almighty God, unto us has given the greatest supplier of power and authority to live out our lives, demonstrating that no obstacle is too large to be removed. No life is too hopeless that it cannot be redeemed. No pain is so crippling that it cannot be eased. No brokenness so undone that it cannot be made whole. No battle so overwhelming that it cannot be won. No sickness so severe that it cannot be cured. No ground so strongly held that it cannot be taken. We have a God, not a God made of wood or stone, not a God of the sun or the stars or the sea. We have a living God who is almighty, for whom nothing is impossible. He's our rock, he's our fortress, he's our tower, he's our deliverer. When we set our lives in the context that unto us has been given that sort of a God, then why do we shrink back? Why do we hold back? Why do we doubt? Why do we fear? Why is there this uncertainty when we think about the God who is with us? Emmanuel God with us. And then we look at Scripture and we think about the context of God being almighty. El Shaddai, El Elohim. That name El is is the strength and the the power of God. Every one of God's names has that that concept behind it, that he's almighty, that he's strong enough, that his power will never fade, it will never be overcome, it will never be usurped. God is supreme. So if he can part the Red Sea, then he can look after little Chloe, can't he? And if he can provide manna in the wilderness, then he can feed every one of us every day of our lives. There's no doubt in that. If he can calm the raging sea, then he can heal our marriages. He can help us through those hard times in our businesses. If he can raise the dead, then there's nothing that's impossible for God. Nothing. Nothing that's impossible for him. If he can make the sun stand still, if he can bring the walls of a city down, surely he can find us a job. Surely he can provide for us. That's the type of God 
that we serve. That's the type of God that has been given to us. What an awesome God we serve. When I think about Almighty, I just think about strength. I'm not a very strong man. And I love it when I see, you know, a big muscle man, man who thinks he's the king of the world. And with one little word, God could flatten that person. He has so much strength. His might is uncomparable. His sovereignty, his supremacy, his dominion, his force, his power, his potency. I suppose the other week you saw the, um, the Americans put that probe onto a comet and they were so proud of themselves, weren't they? We're going to discover the source of life. We'll pick up your Bibles. I'll save you the, save you the, the 40 million or billion, whatever it costs to send you there. Like man's folly and yet God's strength. We haven't even tapped the first universe yet and there's galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies. Our God is awesome. But unto us is given that God. Unto us is given the right to be called the Son of God. Same power, same authority vested in you and me. What an incredible blessing that is. This one is one we can all get our heads around because we've all had a father, be that father a good one or a bad one. And I think probably the greatest challenge facing our society right now is the lack of fatherhood. Absent fathers, fathers that are too busy, fathers that are not even there at all, fathers that are there in the sense of being there physically but not engaged. We are lacking a whole generation of young people that have never had father figures. And I can tell you because of that, there's going to be huge consequences. They don't have any moral fibre. They don't know what boundaries are. They don't know how to treat women. They don't know how to conduct themselves. They don't even know how to do life because they haven't had a dad who's invested, who's taken the time to nurture and foster them. So as a church, we have a huge responsibility. I have two sons, but actually I have probably 60 because I think that's our task as men is to father other children. Father, the people around us. That's going to be the one thing that we have to decide as a church. What's the biggest problem in our community? It's family breakdown. And we've got to change that somehow. We've got to offer services and we've got to offer um, a roadmap for people to get to the place where they need to go, which is to do family and to do family well. You know, the church is full of people that don't know how to do relationship just don't even know how to socially interact. They feel awkward or they feel left out or they feel you know, like there's an in-group over there and I'm not in the in-group and most of it's just lies. Most of it's just our inadequacies just to learn how to communicate to people, people that are different to us or think differently. We've got some big challenges and I think it all stems out of not having strong, healthy father figures in our life. But we've been given an everlasting father. You know, the one thing I love about God is that he's never going to change and he's never going to run away. He's never going to get to the point where he says, I've had enough. Mark, that's it. You've done it for the last time. I'm walking away. God is always going to be there because he's a father. He's the father to the fatherless. And he's an awesome God that we can love. We can wrap our arms around him. We can trust him because he loves us with a perfect love. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. 
It is by grace that you and I have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show through us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good which God prepares in advance for us to do. That's the job of a father. To love us, to nurture us, to set us up to succeed. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Sometimes I have these little moments of revelation where I just have to remind myself who I am. Because in the busyness of the tumble of life, sometimes you just forget to back the truck up a little bit and remind yourself, like we did this morning, to remember who we really are. That we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. That we have a Father in Heaven. No matter what our earthly Father has been, good, bad or otherwise, we have the perfect Father who is there for us all the time. You know, I've been blessed to have a Father who's been there all my life, who's been cheering me on when I played cricket, who was always there, you know, even when I got right off the rails. When I was about 15, I went to a very prestigious private school and um, there's no little kids in here. Block your ears. Um, I got caught with my pants down with another girl when I was in year nine by the principal of the school. And can you imagine what it's like to go home to a Christian family that's well esteemed when your sister has been the ducks of that school and never stepped out of place and suddenly Mark comes along and destroys everything? What would you do if you were that dad? I know what you'd probably feel like doing, but what would you do? My dad cried and he threw his arms around me and said, son, we'll get through this. This is not a time for me to be angry with you. It's a time my dad actually blamed himself and said, I failed you. No, I don't think my dad did. I knew what was right and what was wrong. I made the wrong choice. But what I learnt from my father was grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. Was he happy? No, he was angry. But he was able to rise above his anger and put his father heart where most people would have put their fists. And he loved me. Was it an easy period? No, it was horrible. The school expelled me and by the grace of God, about three months later, after three months off school, they actually let me come back. They rescinded their expulsion and they actually realised that before God, that wasn't grace. So they allowed me to come back to the school. Do you think that's easy when you're a 15-year-old kid and the whole school's looking at you because they know what you've done? That wasn't easy either. 
But my mum and dad were there the whole way through. They never gave up on me. Now, God uses everything in our life because he's a father and he knows he uses everything. When we came back from Fiji four years ago, I got to go to um, the chapel service at that same school and share my testimony to the year 11 and 12s, all sitting up in the stands listening to my story. I tell you, you could have heard a pin drop. Because I said, up there on that wall, you'll find my sister's name. But they don't have a badge of honour for me. They didn't put up a little plaque with my name on it because they probably want to write that section of their story out. But they didn't. They took responsibility and they loved me and they nurtured me through and they took me right through to year 12 and now I can go back to that school with my head held high because they showed me grace and mercy. That's the type of father that we have. I don't know if any of you watched the Philip Hughes funeral the other week. It was so hard to watch that father pick up that coffin. To see that dad's love for his boy, all the hopes and aspirations that he had for his son. You know, he'd taken Philip Hughes everywhere to cricket matches, you know, sat on the sidelines, driven him hundreds of kilometres, set him up so that he could, you know, reach his dreams. And yet his dad had to bury his son. That's what we've got to remember about Christmas. That God gave up his son for us. For unto us has been given a son. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Is that word again? That we should be called the children of God. And I love the way John puts that in, that last little tag. And that is what we are. Don't ever forget that, that you have a father who loves you. Now, I know when we look at our fatherhood in the natural, in our, in the, you know, in our lives, we don't always have that sense of acceptance or belonging or favour or protection or hope or comfort or approval. But that's what an everlasting father does. He's always there. His arms are always around us. He's always calling our name. He always wants us to sit in his presence on his knee. And last but certainly not least, Jesus wasn't just called the prince, although that is what he is. He's the prince of peace. For unto us is given the greatest resource of peace, assurance and generosity. The one characteristic that should set us all apart from the world that we live in is that we shouldn't be anxious. We shouldn't fret. We shouldn't worry and we shouldn't fear. It makes no sense in the context of the God that we say that we serve. We're actually calling God a liar, that he's not big enough, that his counsel isn't wise enough, that his might isn't strong enough, that his fatherly love isn't sufficient when we worry and when we fret and when we fear. We've got to be a people that understand that Jesus is our all-sufficiency, that he's our peace. Not the mortgage that we have or whether we've paid that mortgage off, you know, not the money that we have in the bank, not the clothes we have on our back. Those things are going to burn, folks. Some of us spend our whole lives trying to build up a business. I can tell you one day it's just going to go. The trumpet of the Lord's going to sound and it's all going to be over. And one day God's going to test Everything that we've done, and I think a lot of us are going to shed a lot of tears because we're going to go, 
It was all good, but it wasn't godly. It didn't stand for eternity. We need to be people that are, that are building our lives upon the foundation of our Prince of Peace. That our strength and our hope and our assurance is in Him, not in stuff, not in our wives, not in our husbands, not in our children. We've got to live our own lives anchored on the Prince of Peace. Now, I don't know if you've seen the trend in our media, but this world is starting to bubble and boil. And I think probably within the next 10 to 20 years, Christianity is going to look very different in Australia. You're going to get persecuted. You're going to get ostracised. The days are going to come when for you to stand up and say that you're a follower of Christ is going to cost you. Maybe your life one day. But if we're not anchored in the Prince of Peace, we're going to give all that up. We'll walk away. Because the price will be too high. The challenge for us is to lay our foundation of our life on the Prince of Peace, on Jesus. Don't know how you go when you go shopping and you listen to people. I love just watching people and observing people, especially this time of year and everyone's in a hurry and everyone's coming apart at the seams and, you know, mums are smacking their kids and, I'm going to hit you in a minute. Would you like a smack, Johnny? Yes, mum, please smack me. You know, it's just chaotic. Everybody's anxious about money. They're worried about credit card debt. They're worried about job security. We should not be because we have a prince of peace that loves us. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know when your heart's not troubled. You know when you're at peace. You don't lie awake in bed at night time churning, going over things, tossing and turning. Your life is in the hands of the Prince of Peace. I want to encourage you this Christmas time to remember what's been given to you. The source of that peace is Jesus. He'll never let you down. I don't know what you think about when you think about peace, but I think about joy. Because I think if you've got peace in your life, it's very easy to see the positives and be optimistic when, when you're not churning away inside. There's joy. Enjoy the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's gladness. You know, the songs we often sing, you have made me glad. And you look around and everyone doesn't look too glad. <laughs> they look sad. You have made me sad. That's what it looks like sometimes. But God has given us gladness. We should be people of great joy. Like we should be bubbling over. Not because we've got two four-wheel drives in the garage, not because we've got money in the bank, but because we've got Jesus. Who he is, is enough. We've got safety. There's nowhere in the world that we can go where God's hand can't extend. We're driving to Queensland tomorrow and often you get those little thoughts in the back of your head. Oh, I'd hate to get hit by a truck. Oh, I'd hate to run off the road. Well, why am I worried about that if he's God Almighty? What is there to worry about? If I'm going to hit by a truck, then it's in God's plan. I should have peace in my heart that if God goes with me and if God is for me, who can be against me? Nothing. I think about favour. 
I think about health. I think about God's provision because that's what the Prince of Peace brings to us, all those things. Unto us a child has been given. They're beautiful names, aren't they? Counselor, Prince, God, Father. But when you amplify them with that, what is it, an adjective? A pronoun? I wasn't very good at adjective. wasn't very good at English. But I know that it amplifies who God is. It's like putting a magnifying glass and enlarging the scope of who our God is. If he is our wonderful counsellor, which he is, if he is almighty God, which he is, if he's our everlasting father that will never leave us or forsake us, which he is, and if he's the prince of peace, then one thing I can assure you of is that Jesus will never fail you. He never has and he never will. He will always be faithful to you in every way that he intended. Jesus never fails. I reckon that should be what we have to say when we walk through the door each Sunday. We should have to declare it with our lips. Jesus never fails. He didn't fail me this week. He didn't fail me yesterday. He didn't fail me last year. He will never fail you. He never will because of who he is. For unto you has been given the one who never fails, the one for whom nothing is impossible. What a great revelation that is to rest in, hey? The worries of the world don't mean anything when you put God in the context of who he is. And I think that's what Isaiah wanted the nation of Israel to remember, the God who's been given to you. I think that's what he wants us to remember today, that we serve a living God who never fails. Now, I want to play you a song. And I want to apologise for the song before I play it because it's a bit old and daggy. But the truth of the words are timeless. Jesus never fails. When I first preached, the first message that I ever preached, a young couple got up at the end of my message and sang this song. And two people gave their lives to the Lord's. Now, I was so green so nervous. I remember vomiting before speaking. I'd almost come undone at the seams, just worrying myself. I failed in the sense of not trusting God, but God didn't fail to honour his word. And I can tell you, over the last 16, 17 years of ministry, God has never failed. Not once. Not once has he failed to come through in someone's life where they've cried out. Not once has he failed to answer a prayer that's come from the heart of hearts. When people have sought God, they've always found him. When they've cried out in despair, God's always comforted them. When they've cried out in a desperate situation for a miracle or a breakthrough, God's come through. When they've been in turmoil and they haven't known where to go, God's wisdom's always been there for them. Jesus never fails. I want you to think back over the year that you've just been through. I want to challenge you to tell me if there was one time that God failed you. You won't find one because he never fails. Sometimes the situations and the circumstances don't work out the way we had in our minds. 
but the end product is always what's best for us because he's our everlasting father and he's a wonderful counsellor, so he knows what we need. He knows how to map the road out. He knows how to lead us and guide us. It's not a bed of roses. It's a lot of thorns in there, but God will always bring us through. Brad, would you put this song on for me? I just want you to think about the words and the truth of these words, and then we're going to pray.